Hey everyone, welcome to the Intelligent Conversations podcast where we believe everyone has a form of intelligence that resides within them. Our goal is to encourage these types of conversations for our audience to listen to. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, this is your host, Josh Baker with the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today I have the privilege of speaking with David Page. He's the creator of Drive-Ins, Diners, and Dives. He also was a longtime journalist with ABC and NBC. He has since transitioned to food television and is writing the book Food Americana. Uh, I believe he's already written that. Uh, So, David, I looked at your profile on PodGuest, and I noticed you had a section of interview questions that there was one that kind of caught my eye, and that was, uh, I'm also just kind of dying to know the answer, and that's, Oh, uh, why do Americans love fast food? Well, we are a convenience. And by the way, thanks for having me. We're a convenience society. Everything has to be faster, quicker. Unlike Europeans, we, we don't see a whole lot of value in breaking to have a sit down lunch. On top of that, we've um, become kind of addicted to eating in our cars because back in the 50s, after World War II, when the majority of American society was feeling euphoric, that we had um, expressed our American exceptionalism and we were riding on top of the world, the concept of newer, better, more modern uh, was in vogue. And as President Eisenhower created the interstate highway system, which uh, spurred many of us to get in our cars, our, our flashy, affordable cars, and drive all over the place as an increasing number of Americans move to the suburbs uh, and use their cars to get to and from work every day. The, the concept of driving through a place and, and getting some new kind of food after talking into some sort of speaker box all seemed very new and scientific and modern and exciting. And and that was the beginning of our addiction, if you will. But there's something else uh, to use the word addiction, which is that fast food offers us a combination of food, uh, of salt, sugar, and fat that scientists say we're kind of addicted to at this point whether it was by happenstance or if they're intentionally targeting us, uh, doesn't matter. The fact is, it's what we want. I, I really I think you bring up an excellent point. I think, I mean, obviously, I'm a younger guy, and it's, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, especially when uh, there's this recent poll that came out, and it said the generation that's coming up is like 80% of them are going to be eating only uh, fast food and only uh, through drive-ins. And that kind of like blew my mind a little bit. I was like, man, do people really not want to like sit down and have a meal? And I, I, I'm i interested to hear your thoughts. Like, would you say like the American, I mean, obviously this is becoming more and more relevant, but the traditional American sit down uh, TV dinners, are those kind of well, just they're gone? And gone? they've been gone uh, unless you're watching old sitcoms. The sit-down family dinner has been gone for a very long time. First of all, you have, in most households, two parents at work. 
So it's not like the stereotypical mom of the 50s is going to spend three hours in the afternoon making a pot roast. It's about convenience. And you talk about uh, fast food. You also need to talk about, in that respect, convenience foods. Uh, come home, defrost something, put something in the microwave. One way or another, it's still processed food. Now, interestingly enough, there has been a bit of uh, good news uh, to those like me who think we ought to be eating real food, which is the proliferation of these meal kit services. Uh, I think they're probably unduly expensive. And to, to many of us who like to cook, they seem kind of slap your forehead and say, duh, in that instead of cutting open your cellophane packet of salt, I could probably put my own salt in. But they are providing a more convenient way for people to do some actual cooking at home. And that's a good thing. As for how much drive-through food the younger generation, I sound like an old guy. Get off the get off my lawn, kids. Um, we're we're all driving through things, and 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 that has been exacerbated by the pandemic. One of the takeaways from the pandemic is the degree to which even restaurants that traditionally haven't used drive-in or delivery or curb service all relied on it uh, and still rely on it to some extent during the pandemic. And the experts I talk to say, that's not going to go away. It, it'll, it'll reduce somewhat. But the fact is you have um, any number of chain restaurant operators now coming up with architecturally new designs that have no interior space. They're drive-in only. You, you have um, better burger operations such as, um, I want to get it right. I don't, I don't know if Five Guys is doing this, but the places that claim that they are better than fast food, that their hamburgers are higher quality, et cetera, et cetera, they had stayed away from drive-thrus because they need a certain amount of preparation time to make a burger from scratch, but they've been uh, crunching the numbers and looking at operational changes, and the Better Burger segment is is now starting to rely on drive-throughs. Uh, you've got uh, well, Starbucks has uh, some drive-throughs, and I understand they're adding more. It's that's the future. Now, does it mean we'll never go into restaurants again? Of course not, but it, it does mean that the trend the wave the preference for grabbing food and going and and thus the preference for food items that can be shoved into your face with one hand while driving all of that will will continue uh, to um, to increase in both popularity and availability i i think that is definitely true and i th i mean obviously i mean we can't dispute this i think there's definitely correlation between would you say there's a correlation between i would say an obesity epidemic and the uh, fast food restaurants as well sure but um look it's a very complicated subject but of course the uh and not just fast food restaurants processed food of all sorts i mean 
look at uh, look at Heinz ketchup and and see where high fructose corn syrup is in the list of ingredients. Uh, it is sugar, salt, and fat, and it is also. I mean, it's not just calories in; it's increasing lack of calories out. I mean, we're all sitting in front of computer screens and calling that work. <laughs> That's true. There, it. I I think that definitely affects. I mean, this is the first time in. I would say the history of the world where people are like, you need to actually go outside and, you know, work out or go to a gym and work out like the gym business didn't exist prior to, I think you were saying 1945, like when World War II and all that was going on. I think it it didn't exist that like it wasn't as prevalent, I guess, is what I'm looking for. Yeah, look, there were always gyms, but the the concept of gyms for everyone and it being normal and natural to say I'm going to get a workout was obviously um, it's obviously a relatively new phenomenon. I don't know the '70s. I'm not an expert in that area, but then again, the '70s is 50 years ago, so uh, that that is in the time frame of our increasing fascination with convenience food yeah i i i almost want to i'm gonna kind of shift gears here for a second uh you were mentioning processed foods and i remember seeing something where i think it was i want to say it was in london where this company is going to do grocery stores where all they do is it's kind of like amazon where they package it all and and then they ship it to your house and i think you mentioned something like that where there's like you can actually prepare a meal from home because you're able to actually get all the ingredients and it's convenient. Do you think that, yeah, meal yeah do you think that would, uh, I, is that like a good competitor with, you know, the big fast food chains like McDonald's? No, not, nothing's, nothing's a good competitor against chains with uh, millions of customers and relatively low prices. Is it available for those who want to use it? Yes. Might it nudge some people in the direction of better eating? Yes. Just as, look, just as troublesome to me is the fact that America's taste in when it goes out where it wants to eat has has completely gone to hell. And, and you drive into any small city and you, you're immediately driving down a road that is completely a fast, uh, not fast, uh, uh, chain restaurants like Chili's or Friday's and choosing to eat there instead of at a mom and pop restaurant, uh, where the food has actually been made fresh for you by hand. Uh, that, that to me is a shame, uh, for any number of reasons, including the fact that what you're getting is, often microwaved or boiled in a bag and and certainly uh, highly processed, which is not to say that if you eat at a mom and pop, you're not getting some processed food. I mean, every mom and pop, not every, most mom and pops get their staple food, not from a local butcher, but from Cisco or U.S. Foods, which are massive distributors of every kind of food on earth. And, um, but I'd still like to have the, the man or woman behind the counter actually making it fresh for me to the extent that's possible. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I mean, I grew up in a home where, uh, 
my my parents were very set on uh, preparing a meal. But even then, I would say now they're heading in the direction of uh, what is it like more naturally grown, like natural fed beef and uh, like things like that. Is there are those better than I mean, I think my audience would like to know, is it better than just regular beef or is there any like I, I well better for you, better for you or better for the world? I, I mean, the the issue about factory farming uh i don't know that um grass-fed beef is better for me than grain-fed beef the fact of the matter is having been raised in america i still prefer the taste of grain-fed beef but uh grass-fed beef is uh certainly a better way to treat the cows and over time much better for the environment than the way most beef farming is done. So uh, I'd certainly vote for, for that for any number of reasons. I mean, the taste of beef is interestingly an acquired concept. Uh, beef that is, that is grown naturally and just cut into a hunk uh, is, is um, not necessarily considered the greatest beef on earth. When you go to a high-end steakhouse, what you're getting at, at the very top end, and the reason it tastes so good, is beef that's basically been intentionally allowed to rot for a while. It's called dry aging. And as, uh, as the beef breaks down, the taste improves. Now, done wrong, uh, it'll get you very sick done right it's it's wonderful on the other hand you know wagyu beef the japanese or kobe beef call it what you want uh is is prized in my view by a lot of people who drown when it rains because their noses are up in the air i don't like the taste of wagyu beef i, I think it's too fatty and when it's served in america it's generally served uh as as a steak where which is just too much and too intense in japan it tends to be very thinly sliced and and quickly cooked on a heated rock which if you're going to eat wagyu is is the way to do it man i i i you mentioned uh japanese uh i i guess beef is kind of what i'm getting here uh would you say that america's kind of i mean we're i guess in a way developing our own culture of food but would you say we've kind of lost our way because we've had i mean we're we're blessed to have multiple ethnicities and multiple like people from different backgrounds that can bring different foods from where they came from would you say that's kind of dying out as well no i think american cuisine by definition and this this is the essence of my book food americana uh, american cuisine is a melange of dishes from other countries and cultures that we adopted in, in most cases along with immigrants and that we then evolved and modified and changed to suit our tastes or the availability of ingredients here. Uh, I, I don't know what food culture will be the next one to be so broadly embraced that it becomes part of American cuisine. Look at sushi. I mean, sushi uh, originally, well, originally the predecessor of sushi was actually Chinese, but sushi as we know it was Japanese. 
when sushi came to the United States in the late 50s and early 60s, it was something uh, for Japanese businessmen uh, to eat, having been posted generally in Los Angeles by their companies. When it was embraced by the glitterati in Los Angeles, movie stars and such, it became hip. But for it to travel across the country and become so prevalent that you can get it uh, in a, a drugstore, and I now believe it to, to truly be part of American cuisine, it changed. It, it, it was modified to be something that most Americans want to eat to the extent that what was generally a simple presentation in Japan especially sushi rolls, in the United States is now um, supersized, covered with all sorts of sauces. Uh, in the case of some places, the whole roll is even fried. I, I uh, focus on a, a sushi bar in a gas station in Oklahoma where they drop the whole roll into the deep fryer. And A, there's nothing wrong with that. that that's not Japanese sushi. It's Japanese American sushi. And it's those sorts of modifications to um, foods from elsewhere that, that, that create a, a cuisine of our own. I, I think uh, I, I really like what you said. Uh, I think uh, in a way that if you bring foods here into America, then uh, it kind of gives us our own uh, identity of what food is and I mean I, I'm going to kind of ask you something here and that's out outside the U.S. I mean I haven't traveled outside. I mean you seem like a guy that's been outside the U.S. You've traveled and had different types of food from different cultures. Would you say that they almost look at American culture and it's just like uh, the best thing you can get there is burgers, fries, pizza, like the typical uh, fatty foods. Yeah, look, there is a general perception elsewhere in the world that American food is fast food. On the other hand, while people may look down their noses at it, uh, that doesn't stop them from patronizing the Burger King on the Champs Elysees, or when I lived in Budapest, the McDonald's that opened there. It, it's sort of a bifurcated view. On the one hand, there's a lot of uh, international condescension toward American food. On the other hand, uh, on Christmas in Japan, it's become a tradition to eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. So, <laughs> what? Uh, you know, yeah, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken has had spectacular success in Japan, and somehow they they created a Christmas tradition of eating KFC on. I'm not sure if it's Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. And, and remember, Christmas isn't a holiday for the vast majority of people in Japan. But it's it's just become kind of a cool thing to do. Man, I, I didn't know that. That's actually cool that they eat chicken uh, either Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. I, I had no idea. Uh, yeah, but it's got to be Kentucky yeah. Fried <laughs> It's got to be KFC, which has a substantial brand presence in Japan. As to most of, of our... Uh, fast food chain restaurants. So, I mean, as we're mentioning here, uh, KFC, I mean, now I'm kind of interested. Would you say there's any, I, I mean, I don't, I can't think of any, but are there any chains 
that started outside of the U.S. that I would, I mean, I'm not too familiar in this area, but. Well, not, not that you would, uh, not that you would probably notice, but there are, there's one, and I'm going to butcher the name. I think it's Banchan. That is a uh, Korean fried chicken chain that is growing quite quickly in the United States. There are some others, but uh, nothing that has any of the mass of an American uh, fast food chain. Uh, I'm just going to kind of follow up with that. Uh, why do you think it's like that? Why do you think we can't? Because I feel like you said that we can get McDonald's into other countries, I think, pretty well. But Well, be, because because Americans, uh, there's a food business analyst named David Portolatin who explained to me, Americans like to try new things if they've already had a version of it. The fact is, as a culture, we're not particularly adventurous. I think we're getting a little more so, but Americans generally, painting with a very broad brush, are not not open to massive exploration in the food area. Certainly, there are millions of people who are. It's why regional cuisines, such as... um, a dish from Mexico called uh, birria de res, which is a spicy beef stew that has never been part of Mexican-American cuisine because it came from elsewhere in Mexico. Um, Americans are increasingly uh, trying things like that, but, but by and large, I think it's fair to say, again, painting with a broad brush, that the big chunk of the American market knows what it wants and it changes its tastes very slowly. Man, that's actually an interesting point because I would say my whole life I've been like kind of raised like the reason why, I mean, America has like done what it's done so far is because like when people moved over here, like uh, I can't remember when the Mayflower, I, I'm, I know I totally got my history wrong there but uh when that came over and people started coming over they had a little bit of risk in them but now we're to a point where it's like oh uh, i don't know if i trust if you're going to if you're going to leave your homeland for religious freedom uh yeah you're a risk taker but there were other reasons um but look we um i'll just stand by this statement most of America is not looking for major exploration in its daily food intake. Huh. That that's an interesting point. I really I I really like that. I mean, I, I like to think that I try new foods, but in a way, uh I think well, you're how, right. How do you I feel about some artery and some duck blood and some tendon and some tripe. Well, I, I guess you've made a point there. I, I would definitely question myself. Well, the point is, that is um, one form of Chinese food as eaten in China that I explored at a large food hall in Queens in New York that targets as its customers, not Americans looking for Chinese American food, but Chinese immigrants looking for the foods they can get back home. And by the way, those items, uh, most of them together in a dish called dry pot, the duck blood served on the side, uh, as kind of kind of looks like a piece of um, liverwurst, uh, the food was fantastic. But I, I don't think you're going to get most Americans to try yeah, it. Yeah, I think, I think you're definitely right. 
I I mean I don't know if you know this, but I um live here in Utah, and there's a population. I mean, you're probably familiar. There's a lot of people from uh the that are Mormons here, and they send out missionaries to go travel the world and then like preach whatever. And then uh yeah, I, ha- I have some close friends who are from Utah who are Mormon and who have discussed with me there. Yeah, okay, so you know what I'm talking about, but they've they've had to go out and one of the things they tell you is to uh you know you're just supposed to be polite and then whatever you know the potential members uh uh feed you you just eat and i think i mean i've heard a lot of people come back from those experiences and they're like i mean there was some things that i was definitely questioning but it was just like man that was actually kind of good and i just i didn't i've never been exposed to that and i mean i kind of want to ask a question here that i think uh would you say Americans aren't because most people I've talked to when they first get out they and they try a new like culture new diet they get sick within the first week would is there something that's playing a role there where we're just not used to that type of food I I I have a hard time with that um I I can only speak to my own experience which is I was covering international events in Europe Africa the Middle East for I don't know six years I got sick twice and I know it was some street food that I wasn't smart uh, and I ate in places with bad water supplies. And when I say street food, it wasn't cooked. It was like a bean dish or something. And my rule for street food is it's the best stuff to eat as long as you see it cooked in front of (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, heat, the fire kills anything. As opposed to, you know, you can be careful as hell and then order a salad in a place where the water is questionable and the lettuce has been washed in the water and you're down for the count. I mean, we're not talking about foreign versus American. We're talking about third world versus first world in terms of sanitation. It isn't the food. It's the availability of clean water that that is the, um, the culprit most cases okay so you would so i'm if i'm just getting this right you're saying that water does play a pretty big role in the preparation well, sure, of if you but not in france or italy or greece i mean yeah if 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 you're in um somalia where it's very difficult to get clean water uh then i would stay away from anything that was um touched by water uh, and wasn't then cooked on the other hand cooking kills virtually everything so there you go um but look food internationally food is the gateway to every culture there is nothing more glorious than going to a place and and being introduced to cuisine you've never had i, I mean i had ethiopian pancakes which, which, I mean, you use the pancake like a tortilla to pick up very spicy meat. I had Ethiopian pancakes for the first time in my life in Ethiopia, and it just blew my mind. Uh, the real version, real is the wrong word, the versions of food as eaten in their home countries, especially foods you may not have had before, will just put you on your ass with happiness. <laughs> Yeah, I think I I definitely agree with that. I mean, I've only traveled here within the U.S. I'm 
trying to, you know, explore more and get out. But I, I, I just recently went to Tennessee and uh, they're, they're more famous. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. They're more famous for their chicken and uh, their spicy okay. chicken. And I there's had Nashville hot chicken and there's also barbecue in Memphis. Yeah, I, I had both of those. It was, oh man, dude. I was like, man, this is what I'm missing out on. Like, I want to expose myself to more. It's like, I, I, what, what would you say? How would we motivate people to actually go out and try uh, different foods? Well, it look, it's, it, it's, it's hard in an era of COVID to convince people to do a whole lot of traveling. Um, all I would say is if you are someplace, try it. I mean, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were in Madrid around this time of year. We actually drove up and down the coast of Spain, but we, we were in Madrid. No, we were in Valencia and we were at the big central market, which is a huge outdoor food hall. And I saw something I, I couldn't figure out. And I, I asked what the what that was I was looking at. And the guy told me it was barnacles. Now, I think of barnacles as the the junk that has to be pried off the hulls of boats. But the gentleman behind the counter explained to me, yeah, that's what it is, but it's edible. It, it is a kind of shellfish. So we ordered barnacles, and they, they look kind of disgusting. They're fantastic. It's You crack them open, and they're small, so you got to work for the meat. But they, they taste like crab. They're incredible. Now, you got a choice when someone tells you those are barnacles. You can try them or you can't. I strongly advise you to try them. <laughs> but, man, now I'm, now I'm kind of getting hungry. I want to go try some. I mean, I. Oh, there's no, there is nothing like a central market food hall in well, my personal favorite is, is Spain. But Spain, Italy, rural France. Uh, that <laughs> we walked around the Valencia market for hours and we'd stop here and have a little yamon iberico, which is that incredible Spanish ham that the really good stuff comes from boars that have only eaten ches uh, chestnut uh, acorns for their entire lives. And then we'd stop someplace else and have uh, the, the, the Spanish make an incredible, simple dish. They have these great tomatoes and they take a, a small piece of crusty bread and they rub the tomato across the bread and it soaks in and then they top it with olive oil. It'll just, it's amazing. It's, it's fabulous. <laughs> so, I mean, just so I'm, I'm getting this clear, that's your favorite food there or is there a different favorite food? No, I'd probably go, if there was one Spanish food, it would be Amoni Benico, but there is such a range of available food and and it's a culinary culture that um uh exploits that in a wonderful way because they do have the tradition of tapas which is small plates eaten generally uh, late in the afternoon because in spain uh dinner is still late at night um and from olives to cheeses to seafood it's just it's a wonderful country gastronomically, and, and it's also not one that most Americans think of. You know, where are you going to go? Well, I'm going to go to Italy. I'm going to go to France. Hey, those are great. Go to Spain. So Spain, Spain's the place to be if you want some good, good food. Is what I'm hearing. Look, all of Europe's the place to be if you want good food. But I particularly, 
I have a particular fondness for that. That's I, I, I'm definitely going to put that on my list because I, I, I love food. Like, I mean, I, I guess I'm guilty of uh, uh, <laughs> the American diet, but I'll just consume as much food as possible. And in yeah, a way, but you're a thin guy, so you can get away with it. <laughs> I'm not. I have to watch it. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> you kind of just got to look at it. But I, 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 one of my life goals is I, I kind of want to like just travel the world. And I mean, well, you, sh- I, I must tell you, I ended up uh, traveling Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. I, I didn't do Asia except for one private trip. But I traveled Europe, Africa, and the Middle East relatively extensively, never expecting that that would be part of my life. When NBC called me up one day in the Chicago Bureau and said, what would you think of moving to England? Uh, it had just never occurred to me. And in retrospect, uh, unless you can't really appreciate so much of the world or understand so much about politics, uh, unless you've you've spent time elsewhere it's the simple fact that things as basic as everyday devices that were invented here and invented there can be different your toilet can be a different shape i mean the fact is people um solve problems in different ways and thus um and they and they see things in different ways. It's extremely important to spend time someplace else. Yeah, I, I, I think if anything, everyone needs to get outside the US at least once. Because I mean, I think we kind of get stuck in our little uh bubble almost. Cause I mean it's only we're only three hundred million people. I mean, I know that's kind of <laughs> a little bit of an understatement, but uh there's seven what point five billion people out there. There's Cultures that like China or whatever has a billion. India has a billion people. The Middle East, Africa, they, I think that goes to another billion right there. And I mean, in a way with, we wouldn't have food if we didn't have those people to actually create it. And why would you stick to a place where only 300 million people are influencing that type of food? So I, no, it's, it's important to, to see the rest of the world. Yeah. So I mean, I, I've liked the thoughts that you've given me today. I've really enjoyed this conversation. So, I mean, kind of as we're wrapping up here, what yeah, do you but, want? Wait, 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 wait. Before we wrap up, plug my book, Food Americana. It's the story of how we created an American cuisine out of the foods of other cultures and countries. You can get it at Amazon or any place else that you that you go for books. Okay, that brief commercial interruption is over. Continue. <laughs> Well, we're all good then. I, I was ready to uh, let you do that. Uh, so, I mean, what do you want the audience to remember about you? I want the audience to remember that it is a crime not to eat good food made by human beings with their own hands who care. So after the pandemic crippled the independent restaurant industry, please, if you ever have the opportunity, Go eat at a restaurant owned by the people behind the counter. Thank you for that. That is definitely some uh, wise wise words, and I definitely will be using that. And uh, it's a life goal of mine. I'll definitely get out and try some new things and support those independent restaurants. So, if there, uh, what was the book called again? You can kind of just uh, let Food people. Food Americana. Rem- 
All right, and you can find that on uh, Audible, and you can get it on Amazon. You can find it anywhere: Amazon.com, Walmart.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Audible's got the audio book. Um, you can buy it. You can buy a physical book. You can buy an ebook. Uh, I promise you, you'll enjoy the read. All right, sweet. So everyone, that is David Page. As you can tell, he has very intelligent things to say. Thank you. And be sure to tune in to next week's episode. We have a great guest lined up for that. And we'll see you guys next week. And let's get out. Hey, everyone. If you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and there should be a form there for you guys to fill out. Thank you guys again and let's get after it.